This is 105.9 The Region, where parents talk and explore practical, proactive, and evidence-based solutions. This is Where Parents Talk with Leanne Castellino. Great to have you along for this edition of Where Parents Talk. I'm Leanne Castellino. Thanks for joining us. It impacts every aspect of our lives and overall health. And when it strikes a child, especially during their formative developmental years, the repercussions can be devastating and potentially lifelong. Child and adolescent mental health conditions were steadily climbing in parts of the world prior to the pandemic. They continue to get worse. Root causes can span everything from socioeconomic factors and relationships to social media, genetics, and pressure to perform in a competitive world. A contributing factor that may be less well-known is the subject of today's show, and that is independence. Our guest today is a professor of psychology at Florida Atlantic University. Dr. David Bjorklund is also an author and a researcher. His research focus includes cognitive development in children and evolutionary developmental psychology. Dr. Bjorklund is a father of four and a grandfather of 14. He joins us today from Boca Raton, Florida. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Leanne, for having me. It's a pleasure. You are the co-author of a recent study that appeared in the Journal of Pediatrics, focusing on the association between independent play or independent activities and children's mental health. As a starting point, could you take us through the impetus for this study? Very good question. Well, there are three authors in the study. The lead author is Peter Gray. And uh, Peter is a retired uh, experimental psychologist from, uh, from Boston. And he's got become very interested in educational issues and the role of play. Uh, David Lancey is a, another author. He's an evo- he is an um, anthropologist who studied children from an anthropological perspective. And I'm a developmental psychologist who's been interested in the topic of play and, as you said, evolutionary psychology, how our evolutionary past influences our behavior today and how understanding something about our evolutionary past uh, can help us better understand and maybe do something beneficial uh, with development. And the three of us, the interests of the three of us have overlapped. So we have worked on other projects before, and one common interest we all have is the importance of play in uh, in development, which is often overlooked. Uh, and part of play, and this was uh, sort of uh, Peter Gray's main impetus here, is the independence it has. Play is something that children do on their own. They choose to play. And this is very important, not just for play sake, the sake of play itself, but this gives them autonomy. And so the focus of this article was really autonomy, uh, doing things on their own, uh, at their own initiative, sometimes a little risky, uh, and the effect it has on uh, mental health, play being a very central part of it, but our three interests sort of overlapped on this, and uh, we got the three of us together to 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 write this uh, this article focusing on the role of autonomy, of independence, and the 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 common ground uh, is play, the importance of play, but it extends beyond that. Play is only one example, uh, but a very important example of children 
experiencing and exercising autonomy and independence in, in, in their, their actions and the consequences it has, the, the often surprisingly important consequences it has. I'm struck by something you said there with respect to the fact that play is often overlooked. Why do you believe that is? It's what kids do, you know, and they're kids. <laughs> the real important stuff happens in adulthood. This is where, you know, the, the, the real stage of humanity exists in adults. We're the ones who, who do the building, who do the uh, the mating, who raise children. We're, you know, ad adulthood is very important, and of course it is. But we often see the process of development in children is just, they've got to go through it until they get to adulthood. And it turns out that's that's not a very good way of looking at it. What happens during childhood is important in and of its own self, both for children while they're doing it, but also for the adults they're going to become. And as a result, we see in modern culture anyway, play being seen as frivolous. Uh, if you take a look at what has been happening in American schools, and this has been happening in European schools, Asian schools, all over the world as well, over the past Oh, 40, 50, 60 years, play has been de-emphasized, recess has been, been de-emphasized. And even when you want to give kids some recess, let's give them something that they can learn to do. We'll give them some, some organized physical education activity. We'll give them some math games. Why let them waste it on play? And uh, I, it's understandable. You know, schools have to uh, have a lot of responsibility for kids. Uh, we need to educate children in modern technological uh, culture. And in doing so, we've, we've underemphasized play as something frivolous, something that if we can find something better for them to do, we should do it. And it turns out that's just the wrong, wrong approach. Not that teaching the three R's isn't important. Of course it is. Uh, but so is the role of play. So is the role of free play uh, in, uh, in children's development both in a school context, but especially outside the school context. You are listening to Where Parents Talk on 105.9 The Region, and we are in conversation with Dr. David Bjorklund, professor and co-author of a recent study that found a correlation between the decline in independent activity and worsening children's mental health and well-being. Dr. Bjorklund, can you take us through some of the key findings of your research? It started with a look at, at patterns of changes uh, in independent activity over the past 50 or 60 years, mainly in the U.S., but also in other parts of the world, certainly Europe and, and, um, and parts of Asia. And um, when I grew up, when I was a child in the, uh, in the 50s and 60s, um, I had loving parents. You know, they, they wanted the best uh, for me, as, as all parents do. But I had an awful lot of freedom. I'm, I'm, I'm looking back on it. Uh, once I became old enough to go out in the neighborhood on my own, which was probably six or seven years of age, uh, there were other kids in the neighborhood. We played our own games. I discovered baseball at age eight. And we'd go down across the street, across the brook. Uh, we'd mow the field so we could play baseball with our own rules. Uh, I was uh, I rode my bike about a mile to school occasionally when I was uh, probably eight, nine or 10 years of age. I come home from school, change clothes, have a snack uh, out in the neighborhood, came home at supper. Once a little homework was done, 
maybe go out again in the summertime, you're back home when the street lights come on. I didn't realize it, but this was the golden age of play for children. Uh, a lot of autonomy, a lot of independent activity. Parents cared. Parents, you know, I got in trouble if I didn't come home when the street lights went on. Uh, there were certainly rules. Uh, and what we're seeing now is a decrease in this independence. And it's understandable. But this goes back to probably started in the 60s. It really accelerated in the 80s. And there's a concern about the safety of our children. Uh, it's a nasty world out there, we believe. You look at the news, and of course it is. If a child gets kidnapped in Portland, Oregon, we know about it in Portland, Maine, the same day. Uh, and we think it's a lot closer than it is. Truth is, the world is no more dangerous for children today than it was uh, back 50 years ago. We just perceive it so. Some places, traffic. Is, is a danger. Some neighborhoods are dangerous. There's no doubt there's, there's, there's some danger out there. But parents have become very concerned about the safety of their children. And of course, we should be as parents. But this extreme emphasis on safety, minimizing the risks that they take, minimizing the chances they get to get hurt or disappointed, causes children to lose opportunities to act independently, to have control over important aspects of our, their life, to choose events. And this is, we see this across, again, the, the globe, and we see this change occurring over 50 years that sort of accelerated, I think, in the last couple of decades. But this is correlated with changes in mental health, decreases in mental health. Uh, from the 60s and 70s, there are there are surveys that go back this far. They're asking kids pretty much the same sorts of questions uh, over a 50-year period. And we're seeing just substantial increases in psychopathology, mainly anxiety, depression, suicide attempts, suicide ideation. Uh, it is really scary. The American Pediatric Association, uh, the World Health Organization have identi has identified this. This is not just a few crazy ivory tower uh, a psychologist uh, coming up with uh, with these things, uh, but this is uh, this is a, an epidemic, and these two are correlated. And we know from a lot of psychological research and anthropological research that these things are correlated, and there is some cause and effect in there. At least we certainly suspect there is good psychological theory, some good psychological data to suggest when children have a little more autonomy. Uh, a little more, feel more in control of their world. They are able to handle the the uh, slings and arrows of of, uh, uh, of abuse that, that life throws us uh, better. They can. They yes, there's things to be depressed about, things to be sad about, but we get over it. There's things to be anxious about, but but we can handle it. And uh, kids need, children need, adolescents particularly need this sense of autonomy to develop who they are and to function well. Uh, and um, it is, I'm not saying, we're not saying this is the cause for the increased depression and anxiety, but it's seemingly one important cause. And, and again, we think a very important cause. As you and your fellow researchers and, and co-authors looked at all of this data over 50 years, as you describe it, what struck you most before I took a really closer look at it, I just I don't think I realized the magnitude. Um, these things creep up on you. You know, uh, the increase in psychopathology, uh, I'm not 
a psychopathologist. I'm not a clinical psychologist, so I don't deal with these issues every day. And of course, you realize that children are reporting more anxiety, more depression. You know, it's in the news. Uh, it's in the professional papers I read, but it's you don't think too much of it. When you take a look at the the large scale of it, uh, the studies, careful studies that have been done, the magnitude of it just really sort of surprised me. Um, this is not a small effect. Uh, the, this is a very large effect. And on top of it, we've lately, last 10, 15 years, we've been emphasizing this as doing, it's all due to social media. We want to blame social media on it. And I think social media, you know, has some blame. But social media uh, addiction, if you will, you know, is 10 years old, 15 years old, maybe. This effect goes back to the 70s and 80s. The, you know, the, the trend is longer than that. It's not just kids spending too much time on Instagram. Uh, that may be part of it, uh, but it's a, lo a longer term phenomenon. It is time for a short break. Much more with our guest, Dr. David Bjorklund, psychology professor, researcher, and father about declining independence among kids and rising mental health challenges. Stay with us. Want to learn more about the show? Email info at whereparentstalk.com. Stick around. Leanne Castellino and Where Parents Talk will be right back on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to Where Parents Talk. Listen live at 1059theregion.com. Here's Leanne Castellino. Welcome back. We are talking about a new study that has found evidence that declining independence in children may be a key contributing factor to the rise in youth mental health conditions. Our guest is Dr. David Bjorklund, one of the study's co-authors. What in the current messaging to parents do you believe needs to fundamentally change to actively address independence or lack thereof and its impact on children's mental health? Well, that's a very good question, and I wish I had the simple answer for you. Um, but parents need to think of their children not as helpless creatures that need protection, and of course they need some protection, but as competent individuals and being given chance to, be, to to show their competence. Uh, if you take a look at how parents behaved or viewed their kids, uh, advice that from uh, Ladies Home Journal and whatnot, the, the parenting magazines of, of the past, uh, children were viewed, you know, in 50s, 60s, 70s as very competent. You know, you want to promote independence. We slowly began to view our children as needing protection. And yes, kids need protection. You know, we don't don't throw your kids out there and defend the world by themselves. Uh, but don't view them as helpless. Uh, give them some opportunities. Give them some choice. Kids, in some sense, have a lot of choice. Sometimes kids in modern culture, they eat what they want to eat and dress the way they want to dress. That's okay. Uh, but they still are restricted in where they can go, how much choice they have and what they do. And if parents can loosen up a little bit. Now, at the extreme, of course, we have helicopter parents, uh, but most of us are not helicopter parents. All of us worry about our kids. I certainly did when I was a parent of younger children. I worry about my grandchildren. Uh, that's what parents and grand grandparents do. But if we can give them more opportunities to make their own choices, to make some of their own mistakes, to let them take a little bit of risks, 
Um, one of the roles of parenting is to let your children take risks, promote development. Your job is to make the is is get the implements the, the degree of risk at the right level. You know you don't want to push it too much, but we've been overly restrictive. Try to and and how can you do this? In some communities in the past decade, parents have been arrested for leaving their children out to walk from home from school alone and no one's at home and they're just shooting baskets out in the uh, in the driveway by themselves and a neighbor calls and says, we've got a neglectful parent here. No one's home to take care of the kid. That's just ex extreme. Um, we as a culture have to view children as a little more competent. And can we construct environments for this to happen? Can we be the the house in the neighborhood where someone is going to be around in the afternoon, but kids are going to be outside uh, playing themselves. And yes, we're there to take care of anything that goes wrong, uh, to keep an eye on things, but but let them figure out uh, you know, whose turn it is to bat or 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 to pitch the pitch the ball or or uh, to get a turn going down the slide before you you jump in. Uh, kids can solve their own problems pretty well. Let younger kids and older kids intermix. Younger, you think this may be a prime for bullying. What it usually results in is older kids taking responsibility for younger kids serving as the role as teacher. Younger kids getting to interact with with older kids and seeing, feeling what it's like to be a little more more competent and and, and feeling a little more in control. These seem easy, but it's they're really hard things to do. Uh, particularly if you've got a neighborhood that isn't all that safe, um, particularly if the you can't trust the neighbors to be uh, uh, <laughs> compatible with you, if the walk to school or the bike ride to school you know is dangerous, um, it's not easily done. Maybe work with your schools, have more recess, have opportunities for free play before school and after school, promote these types of things. Schools can play a very important role. Uh, it's not just at home. It's not just at school. These are things that we can try to do. Many parents and caregivers who listen to or watch this interview may say, you know what, everything you've said seems reasonable. It makes sense. But how do I determine what is age appropriate for my child? That is uh, a pain point in many families and households, depending on the dynamic, uh, et cetera, et cetera, in that, in that home. What would be your response to that? Take a look what other kids of this age are doing. If you have friends with children, uh, seeing what, what they're capable of. Uh, assume your child has maybe a little more competence than you think they have, and maybe give them some opportunities where you're watching very closely. Uh, give them a chance to make mistakes that aren't going to be too, uh, too, too serious, and you can say, okay, we're pushing this a little bit too much. Uh, you really can't get to make your own tuna fish sandwich effectively. <laughs> you know, you, this isn't working out. Let's take a step backwards. Um, give them some opportunities to do chores around the house, to do things that are important for the household. Children, this is some of David Lancy's work, one of the co-authors here. Children around the world, oh, in the late preschool, early school years, four to six years old, he calls it the helper stage. Kids want to help. Um, let them. Uh, I think even younger, three three year, year old. I've been in the kitchen many times, you know, making something, and you've got a toddler there who wants to help. 
we all know that it's more work if you let the toddler help than if you don't. And I think we tend to say, no, go do something else. I'll get this done. Give them opportunities early on. This will help them develop their skills. It'll give you an idea of where their abilities are so you can you can suggest something else for them to do. To understand what a child's competencies are, what the developmental level is, you need to work with your kid. You need to, to, to give them opportunities, assess them, and uh, and then uh, then try the next step up. What do you hope will happen uh, with the results and the findings of this study as we move forward, both in the short term and in the long term? In the short term, uh, I hope uh, shows like this uh, will get the message out to a lot of parents. Uh, we wrote this in the Journal of Pediatrics, so we hope that pediatricians, uh, some pediatricians get the message uh, and are able to advocate to to their uh, parents and and of children, uh, give them some opportunities to encourage them to have a little more autonomy. Uh, we hope this gets in the big picture. It's a little grandiose uh, to change uh, society's views. We we do see changes in societal views. This one article is not going to do it, but in in writing this this paper, we noticed other. Uh, scholarly and not so scholarly uh, people are writing on this topic as well. We're not alone in this. This may be a minority position right now, but there are other people who are promoting these ideas as, as well, many of them working in schools uh, to uh, uh, encourage uh, principals and teachers to give children more opportunities uh, for free play, for example. Uh, to make some of the decisions themselves, a little more autonomy. Um, there are a lot of things parents can do. Uh, there, are, Parents are always looking for after-school opportunities for their kids, or often. Do these opportunities afford some independence? Um, I was never a big joiner as a kid, but uh, um, something that I think was important. Uh, I was I was in Boy Scouts for a little bit. It's now just called Scouts. Boys and girls can, can join it. And something like Scouts, yes, it's guided, but this mastery is, is part of it. You get your merit badges, you master it. And it's not someone just teaching you things. You've got to sort of work on them yourselves. The older Scouts work with the younger Scouts, something like that. I'm not uh, advocate an advocate for Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts per se, but some kind of activities where it's not just an adult telling a child exactly what to do, but giving children opportunities to do things themselves, maybe with other children, coordinating with one another to get a job done. How do you put up a tent? You know, um, it's uh, it's not an easy thing to do, but if you've got an older child with little experience and younger kids learning from it and working on it, these are ways of building mastery, building competence. Competence is another step step with it. Autonomy is one thing, but you want to feel confident and you want to also have these interactions with other people, with, with building good relationships. They all go together. Autonomy is a certainly important part of it. These things happen in play. You play with other, other children, people your own age, younger, a little bit older, and you develop competence in, some, in, in certain skills, some of which are going to be directly related to, to what you use as an adult. And others are just related to what you what's important in childhood right now. But it gives you confidence. We are certainly both uh, in North America, around the world, you know, across the globe at a very critical point. 
when we talk about youth mental health issues, a global epidemic in and of itself, anxiety and depression are at all-time highs in the United States and certainly in many other countries. So what will happen in your estimation, Dr. Bjorklund, if we don't actively address this uh, in the short term, given all of these statistics, some of which you alluded to? Uh, what can we plausibly expect to happen if it's not addressed? Well, <laughs> I hate to be overly negative about this, uh, but uh, anxious, maladjusted adolescents and children grow up to be maladjusted adults. Um, and uh, having good mental health, including loneliness is a big factor in, in a lot of societies, and, and this can contribute to depression and, and whatnot. Loneliness, there's a lot of reasons for it, but some of it is just not developing good social skills, not knowing how to make friends, not being able to keep an intimate partner because you just don't haven't developed these skills. Um, I'm not saying that free play, more free play when, when you're five and six years of age is going to be a cure-all. Um, but if we don't address the mental health crisis we're seeing now in children and adolescents, uh, we're going to continue facing it in the future, and we're going to be dealing with more and more adults who are having difficulty coping with a more and more complex world. And the world is getting more and more complex. You nor I know exactly what the future is is going to be uh, uh, for us in another 30, 40, 50 years. Part of it is the world is changing drastically right now. Climate change, of course, and how we're going to adjust to it. But the new technologies, AI, everyone is buzzing about this now since ChatGPT came, came around. These issues have been around for, for some years. We don't know what the job market is going to be. We expect that children today going to grow up to had to be adults who are going to have various jobs, not going to just have one occupation, but they're going to change them from time to time because technology changes. We need to educate children so they can be flexible. We need to educate them so they can be critical thinkers. Part of this, we think anyway, is developing greater autonomy, greater confidence in, in oneself, greater mental health now. I try to be optimistic about the future, um, but we are in a period of radical change, not just for our society, but for our species. Uh, some people, whether they're right or wrong, are comparing the changes that may be happening in most cultures in the next several decades to the changes that occurred with the Industrial Revolution uh, back a couple hundred years ago. And if you want to go back to the Agricultural Revolution 10 or 12,000 years ago, um, but it's happening much faster now. And we need well-adjusted, critical thinking adults to, to handle this. And to do this, we need to raise children who are well-adjusted themselves and have a sense of control and autonomy um, and good self-worth. Dr. David Bjorklund, Professor of Psychology at Florida Atlantic University, we thank you for your time and your perspective today. Leanne, thank you very much. It's been my pleasure. And that is our time for this edition of Where Parents Talk. Thanks so much for listening. Remember to catch the full video version of this interview at whereparentstalk.com. I'm Leanne Castellino. Hope you'll join us next time. Sign up for Leanne's parenting newsletter and so much more at whereparentstalk.com. This is Where Parents Talk on 105.9 The Region.